0: Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Great to be here. Yeah, hi, uh, honey. Hi, son. Nice to see you online. Uh, Yeah, kind of connecting, a little bit not connecting. I I don't know if you guys have found that over many Zoom chats that you've had during lockdown, where, yeah, uh, whether it's the technology or whatever it is, but you're kind of talking past one another. They're talking about something that, and I didn't quite hear that, I just, I'll, I'll go with the conversation I think we were having, and you can kind of, a little bit, be on two different wavelengths. Uh, that's, that's what's happening in the book of Mark. In this section of Mark, uh, that's what he's showing us, that the disciples and Jesus, they can be operating on two different wavelengths. So we're going to see that today, uh, and as we open chapter 9, uh, Mark is highlighting Uh, what Jesus says. He makes a bold statement in verse 31. He says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. He's teaching his disciples about the mission that he's come to fulfill, to die on the cross to save mankind. But what do the disciples want to talk about? Well, firstly, they don't even understand what he's talking about. And then they say, well, they're along the road. And Jesus asked them, what were you, what were you arguing about on the way? And they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. So, yeah, they're, they're clearly not getting it, are they? The disciples have this expectation of what following Jesus is all about. which is you know, to be on the winning side, to be able to have an uh, important seat next to the king. This is not the way of Jesus, and he needs to reshape their understanding of what it means to follow him. I think for us also, we need to relearn what it looks like to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years, or if you're not even a Christian yet, I think for all of us, um, we are constantly being shaped by the voices around us, telling us what the good life is, uh, presenting to us a pattern for us to live in the world. But let me tell you, uh, that pattern is not the pattern of Jesus. Come hear what he says. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. It's upside down. The way of Jesus is humble service. This is the way of the cross. It sounds topsy-turvy to, if we want to be really great... We've got to be, place ourselves at the very bottom. This is a challenge to the pattern of our world, the pattern that we are constantly being presented. Last week, we were urged to listen to Jesus. Today, Jesus is going to speak, and he's going to invite us to imitate his pattern of life. We have a choice to make. Are we going to remain on our wavelength, or are we going to tune our ear to hear Christ? Christ's message is about the humility of the cross. Jesus invites us. He says, come and be my humble people. And then he shows us in the rest of the passage what that looks like. So that's what we see, that Christ's humble people, they care about children. They care for children. They care for fellow Christians. They care about sin and they care about marriage. That's where we're heading today. Firstly, Christ's humble people care about, care for little children. So Jesus... He takes a child, in verse 36, and he places them among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Now we might think that the care of little children is just a given. It's basic humanity. But in ancient societies, children were not viewed highly. On the social ladder, they were really hanging off the bottom rung alongside the slaves. So when Jesus embraces this child and and instructs the 12 to do likewise, he's doing something radical. But the gospel is radical. God The king of the universe looks down upon his creatures and and they, like little children, they have nothing to offer him. In fact, all the more they have uh, blatantly rejected him and yet God in his grace, he, he chooses to serve his creation through suffering. The cross of Jesus is radical. It changes our view of what's important. We learn to look at the world through God's eyes and we start to notice the smallest, the least significant. God cares about children. You want to do something great, love a child. That's what matters from God's perspective. I've learned a little bit more about what it looks like to love a child this year. With my wife, Carmel, uh, we've been raising our little boy, Reuben, for over a year now. Um, So it leads me to say to mothers here, I want to speak to you and and to dads, but especially the mums, God loves what you do. It might feel like caring for your child isn't significant. That putting clothes on them, keeping them fed, maybe you're handling stinky nappies or packing away their toys. You're giving so much of your life to this. And what's the point? It'll all be the same again tomorrow. But the work of caring for a child is so close to God's heart. Parenting is incredibly thankless, but God sees. And your humble service, it will last. He'll remember it for eternity. Jesus says, be my humble people. And humble people care for children. And secondly, Christ's humble people care for fellow Christians. We'll pick it up in verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. So the twelve had a problem with this man. Casting out demons in Jesus' name. And you might think, well, what's wrong with that? Exactly. John and the other disciples, they aren't thinking about the good works that are being performed in the name of Jesus. No, they're just concerned for their own position. Shouldn't he become one of us first? Hold on, Jesus. Shouldn't your authority pass through us to others? And sure, the 12 disciples, they they do have uh, an important position next to Jesus, but they're mistaken to think that they have exclusive rights to him. No, Jesus is much too big for that. And this whole line of thought, it misses the point anyway, because loving Jesus leads us to love one another. That's what he says in verse 41. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will not lose their reward. So again, Jesus is zooming in on something that looks so insignificant. Giving a cup of water to someone. Uh, that's just basic hospitality. like And especially back in that day, that would have been the bare minimum. That's the point. Forget your high-standing position and be my humble people. Care for one another. That's what really matters, not who's in or who's out. It's Christ's love for us that moves us to love other Christians. In in Carmel's church, uh, growing up, there was an older lady. Her name was Olive. Uh, I think she was eighty years old. She she was a real humble servant. She always arrived at church early, um, to find any way that she could help. You know, whether it was folding the bulletins, greeting people from the car park, uh, even though you know she wasn't rostered on, she'd go and find other odd jobs to do. You know, filling up the bickies for morning tea. Uh, topping off the watered down cordial, Olive had learned over the years the humility of the cross i 'm sure there are any number of ways that we can be caring for one another here at DPC, on today, on a Sunday or, or through the week. How could you care for a fellow Christian? How might you use your time or your hands or your home to welcome an outsider? I've heard of uh, people opening up their homes for missionaries when they return back from the field, you know, providing a place of rest for them with no charge. What other needs might people have? It could be anything. I, I suppose the other side of this is that we need to be able to tell people when we are in need so let's be that community a community that it's okay to need help um, because we understand that we know there is help here to be had this is what matters to Jesus be my humble people care for fellow Christians and thirdly Christ's humble people care about sin. Let's look on at verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. We know Jesus cares for children. Here he makes a statement that we get a feel for how much he really cares. The faith of children matters so much to Jesus that if someone were to hinder that, there would be in store for them a fate worse than death. Actually, worse than being thrown into the sea with a large stone around your neck. This is a warning In the most serious terms, we'd better not do anything to injure the faith of little ones. Sticking with Jesus is what is most important. That's what he talks more about in these coming verses. So verse uh, 43, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed and with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. The imagery is full on, isn't it? It's confronting. And it's meant to be. Jesus has something to teach the disciples. It is clearly important and it's because of the seriousness of the matter that something softer just wouldn't cut it. This is a warning to us about anything that might be hindering us from following Christ. It could be sin, uh, but it may not be something so overt that draws us away from trusting Jesus. So think of the Christian who buys a house uh, with a massive mortgage. They've got to keep up with the bills. Um, So, you know, they start working extra shifts on Sunday. And that means they can't go to church regularly. And they're working long hours throughout the week, so there's just no time for relationships and people. There's no space for God. You can see how uh, something so innocuous, like which mortgage you get, can actually become a stumbling block, something that prevents you from sticking close with Jesus. Well, whether it be your mortgage that's too big, your boyfriend that doesn't love Christ, or your own hand, Jesus says, let them go if they're keeping you from me. And certainly, our sin, if we let it go on, will lead to this as well, stealing us away from Jesus and his kingdom. It might seem like a small deal to dabble in gossip or greed. Maybe you think it's not too, uh, not too bad to harbour a grudge, you know, hating someone on the inside instead of on the outside boy, it's serious. Why does it matter so much? Because it determines your eternal destiny. It's the consequences involved. Jesus says, it is better to enter life maimed. It is better to enter life crippled. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm that eats them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Positively, allegiance to Jesus means life. It means sharing in God's kingdom forever and ever. Negatively, holding back from allegiance to Jesus means the loss of all that and entering something that's horrible, beyond description, And that's forever. It might be a drastic change that you need to make. In which case I would say, don't hesitate. Or it might be something simple. I have a friend who uh, decided to stop listening to true crime podcasts. They love true crime podcasts, but they just found their mind was filled with thoughts that were dark, and they weren't helping them to love Jesus. Another friend, on his way to work, he would drive past a billboard, and it was an inappropriate billboard, it was, you know, inappropriate imagery. So you know what he did? He just took a slightly longer route to work each day, avoiding, avoiding the billboard. Christ's humble people care about sin. And they care about marriage too. So in chapter 10, the Pharisees ask about divorce in order to test Jesus. Because the matter of divorce, or at least the grounds for divorce, it was a live discussion in their day. Divorce is mentioned in the Torah, at the books of Moses. In Deuteronomy 24, um, Moses says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something in and he writes a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, sends her from his house. It, it continues to go on explaining what happens after that. But do you see there, um, it's not clear why it happens. So there's this, there's this uh, argument amongst the Jews about what what is a legitimate grounds for divorce. Uh, so the Pharisees are just interested to hear what Jesus has to say. But on top of that, they, if they catch him saying something contrary to Moses, well, they've got him. They ask, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus' initial response is to answer the question with a question. He's very good. He sees their trap a mile off. And even more, he sees their heart problem that underlies the question. Do you notice what word they use? Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce. But that's not what Jesus asked. He asked, what did Moses command You see, for the Pharisees, the law was about boundaries. You read the Torah in order to mark out safe space. You know, where's that line of what we can and can't do? As long as we stay inside that line, God will be pleased with us. But this is to misunderstand the Torah. This is not the way to approach the Bible. After all, what is God's word for? It is for us to know God. So no, we don't approach the Bible asking ourselves, oh, what will God let me get away with? But who is God? And how does he want me to live for him? It's this attitude of approaching God's word that Jesus is getting at, not seeking allowance, but desiring obedience. So Jesus explains, well, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. The divorce certificate, it was a concession that God made because he knew that he was dealing with a sinful people, a people that live in a world that is broken and has been Since the fall. But what does the Torah teach us about God's purpose for marriage before any of that? Before sin entered the picture? That's what Jesus goes on to say. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So They're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus quotes Genesis 1 and 2 to show the meaning of marriage, which essentially is two become one. Male and female joined, literally, and symbolically, and permanently. God creates this union of one flesh. So what Moses commands is that we honour this union that God has created. So, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus says, according to the will of God, no, it is not. Now, we mustn't be idealistic about uh, we we can't ignore the heartbreaking and valid uh, reasons that some marriages break up, like abuse or abandonment. Humanity is broken. Deuteronomy twenty four, recognise that. And odds are that there are many of us here who ourselves have gone through divorce. For some of us, that was that was the right thing to do. And for those of us, if it wasn't the right thing to, to do, God's grace is still extended to each and every one of us. The good news is that Jesus went to the cross to offer us forgiveness and healing with God. That is open to us all. It's important to acknowledge uh, these valid reasons. But even while we do that, <clears throat> we can still ignore, acknowledge that divorce is a tragedy. I myself come from a broken family. Mum and dad separated when I was twelve, and both my parents are remarried. I I love my stepmom. I know that God has worked through this situation, in amazing ways. But it's not the way it was meant to be. And I feel that every Christmas, every Father's Day, every time I visit my extended family. There's a pain that I carry with me that I don't know what to do with. It's going to affect the life of my son. Marriage might be dull, but not in God's eyes. The long, steady commitment over many years made up of hundreds of small decisions to prefer the other person. God made marriage to be a beautiful reflection of his undying faithfulness towards his people. And disciples of Jesus ought to care about marriage. Uh, I'll finish up by telling you a story of my friend Yuki, because uh, I think he embodies the humility that we've been challenged with today. Yuki, uh, he's a friend from Japan. He, he moved to Australia to study here, and while he was here, he became a Christian. And it's one of the privileges of my life to uh, have gone on that journey of faith with him, to see him come to know Jesus as we went to church together. Early on in his his walk with Jesus, something came up that I was afraid would put an end to the whole thing. Um, He told me one Sunday, oh, you know, I'm really excited. I'm going to move in with my girlfriend into a new apartment. And I was uh, caught off guard and I didn't know what to say. Thankfully, there was another friend who was there and he was able to speak up. Oh, uh, Yuki, we don't do that. I was afraid. I, I, I thought, yeah, myself, is this going to be one of those stumbling blocks? Is this going to be one of those things that might steal Yuki away from Jesus? I didn't know if he would even recognize, being such a young Christian, would he recognize the seriousness of the decision he was facing? But uh, Yuki responded to all this with humility. Uh, what he did was he uh, heard what was said. What He, he, he actually sought out uh, some older men from the church to come and meet with him and, and read through the Bible to show him what it says about sex and how it's designed for marriage. Yuki thought and prayed and decided to call it off. I asked him later about it, and, and here's what he said about the whole thing. You know... I didn't know about this, but once I heard about Christian marriage, I think, yes, this is good, actually. It's not easy now. I have to find a new house, but if Jesus wants me to wait, I think he knows best, and I'm not sad. I'm happy that Jesus loves me and that I can love him. Let's be like Yuki and give our whole, ourselves wholeheartedly to Jesus, taking up our cross and following him in the path of humility. And I'll pray that. Lord God, please help us to hear what Jesus has said and lead us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. Amen. Thank you.